You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. If your world crumbled beneath you and you tumbled into free fall, would you land on your feet? And would you create a new, richer life? Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another opportunity to expand and enrich your world. One of the ways that you can definitely accelerate your growth is by choosing to read more wonderful books. And our sponsor, Audible, offers you a free downloadable audiobook of your choice. You choose from more than 180,000 titles. You get to keep it. And you also get an entire month free of all of Audible service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a form of audio empowerment today. I really value your presence here, your loyalty by listening to this show again and again and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for this show. One of the easiest ways to do it is to leave a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And that will help the show to gain more visibility. Then more and more people can have the opportunity like you to enrich their lives. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a woman who was forced to change her story. She created a new, empowering story. Now she's a successful crisis management social strategy consultant who works with companies and people to help them through growth and change. She's earned the right to do what she does because she embraced major change in her life. You'll be inspired by Jennifer Lee's journey. Jennifer, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning. (laughs) When you were a child, did you ever dream of who and what you wanted to be when you grew up? I think as a child, I always was pretty dead set on being in medicine. My mom was a nurse, and so I watched her in the medical field, and then she transitioned onto the business administrative side uh, with hospitals. So I always knew I wanted to help people, and I loved medicine, so I always saw myself in some regard as a doctor or um, surgeon, but yes, I always wanted to help people in medicine. So... You have had, some of your work is involved in the world of medicine, correct? And we'll get to that a little bit later in the interview. Yes, I definitely spent a good amount of time in the medical world. Okay. Now, what led you to start a skincare company? Well, um, the best way to describe it is I had very sensitive skin and, and an allergy to the sun. And so... I decided to try to find a solution to it and create a sunscreen that didn't have any harmful chemicals and all of those horrible ingredients that really caused me to keep breaking out. So I researched it and researched it and whipped up a sunscreen that was all natural in my kitchen, which then led to my garage. And I decided to just kind of create my own skincare line that really was free of toxins and chemicals and it kind of took off from there but I I created it for myself and then for my boys at the time that were just born that's fascinating so what tell me and I'm curious what was in this stuff that you created in your kitchen 
Um, you know, all, just all natural. Uh, everything was plant derived, and anything that you could, you know, find. Uh, so I searched and searched online and and bought large quantities of <laughs> uh, different oils and. Um, what else was in there? Um, like zinc oxide is a great one that's all natural. Um, I'm trying to think what else was in it back in the day. Well, how long did it take you to do that? It took me about six months to really create it and perfect it in a way that the consistency, the quality, uh, everything came together. But it was about six months from the time I decided I wanted to try to create it until the time that I was actually able to use it and then used it and it kind of spread like wildfire after that. So, wow. How, how, um, what did you call the company? Um, my company was called Organic Bronzing Station. So it started with the ability to want to kind of help prevent sun, sun damage and skin cancer, but at the same time I wanted to be tan and... <laughs> Make sure that I did it in a natural way. So it was a it was a great way to combat that. And did you sell it online? I did not. Um, I started out by having clients, and so I would tan them, and they would use my products, and I created these great relationships. And then I decided to take my company and go the B2B route. So I decided to sell my products exclusively to hotels and golf courses. I wasn't so much wanting to sell it everywhere. I wanted to kind of keep it exclusive. How big did it become? Um, fairly big. I did well. I had a full staff of sales consultants all over the U.S. and some internationally and I acquired some investors, and they had some thoughts on what they wanted to do with the company as well, which can always lead to different directions and different paths. But it was great. I loved it. I went to New York City a lot. Um, I was back and forth between D.C. and New York and hit the streets just trying to sell it uh, one spot at a time. Wow, this sounds fascinating. You're truly an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I wasn't until then, but I think that having twin boys really kind of kicked it off for me because I wanted a different life than the life that I had at that moment in the medical world, and I wanted to have a little bit more flexibility for them and for my family. Well, I'll suggest that you were. You just discovered it because if you didn't have the entrepreneurial uh, gene in you, no matter what you were struggling with, you wouldn't have taken that route. It's, it's a bold move. I mean, you, you have to trust and believe you're creating something that wasn't there before. Right. No, absolutely. It was definitely a huge risk and I'm very grateful that I took it. You're a millennial, right? I am. <laughs> so so how, how old were you when you created this? Um, I was 25 years old. Wow. 20, almost 26. Wow. That's impressive. Now, from there, what were the series of events that made the life you had created fall apart? Well, you know, I used to think that it was a little bit more the company that I created that really kind of kick-started um, the demise of my marriage I don't know how I feel about that necessarily today, but I do think that with being an entrepreneur and starting up a company, I always tell people there's risk involved. And especially if you're in a relationship or you have a partner in your life, it is really a joint effort. And you need more than anything the support of the people that you love and that love you around you to be able to do it. I definitely have a tenacious spirit and that entrepreneurial spirit regardless. However, I do think that starting my company, my twin boys were four months old, and it was a lot of change. And so if people don't do well with change in general. That's always hard, but you're also throwing in there, I have newborn twin boys. I was switching from a very corporate structured life in the medical world to this, 
and doing both. So I was moonlighting, which was crazy. And then I also was trying to be a wife and trying to be a good mom and trying to make sure our house was taken care of financially and physically and emotionally. So it was a lot. And I think that uh, it, the, looking back, the biggest thing for me was I always ask myself that. Had I not started this company and, and became an entrepreneur when I did, would it have changed anything? And I don't necessarily think so, but I do think that was the like that was the catalyst for really the downward spiral of of events in my life that kind of took place. So that was the first one. Well, as I'm listening to this, um, I mean, I don't know you. I haven't. I've only met you today, but. Can I offer a view? Absolutely. I would love that. The reason I can offer it is because it's not about having to know you. It's about what, I'm what I've learned and what I continue to learn about the way all of us human beings operate. If you branched out in a new direction and it began to create havoc in your marriage... It's really a statement about the fact that your partner probably couldn't handle the change. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I usually that's what happens. You say you weren't getting the support. Well, that's the thing, you know, if we're hooked on a certain identity that we demand that the other person hold on to and that identity changes, then how do we deal with it? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I really think that, you know, I took a lot of ownership in what I had created and mm -hmm. who I was and, and what I was bringing to the table. And I just think that for me, um, you know, I speak incredibly highly of him and he's a phenomenal dad and I, I couldn't ask for a better dad to our boys. But at the same time, I do think it was very eye-opening for the first time in our relationship of six years, that was really the first time that I needed him. And it was a different dynamic. And you're mm. absolutely right. And I don't think he that was just something that he was really able to take on. And um, so I do take ownership in that. And I know that was very hard for him to watch me being an entrepreneur and everyone thinks that there, you know, you can go out there and make a ton of money and you can, but there's a lot of times that you fail once, twice, three times before you get back up again and you finally have something that really sticks. And especially not having that business background, uh, I learned as I went. So even in the last four years, I mean, it's night and day, uh, going through all of that, but unfortunately I went through a lot in order to come out of it and really know where my strong suits are in business and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and when to seek advice. But back then I was a young, driven female that just really wanted to make something of herself, and I did. Uh, I have no regrets. But from a spouse side of things and from a um, family side of things, you definitely have to, you have to have someone really strong by your side, or at least I did. I needed that. No, I hear you. I hear you. I think we're seeing a lot of that in today's world, that men are confused and scared because they lived for a long time with a certain image of what women should be. And women are saying, no, don't like that. I'm going to be something else. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you know, it's interesting because I meet a lot of women all the time and um, some in the business world, some not. And I am a huge believer in just whatever makes you happy and fills you up every day, do it. But uh, no judgment on my end, uh, whether someone is a stay-at-home mom or not or running a business or an executive but I think that for me, it's really interesting. And what I've learned about myself is that I love both. <laughs> and a lot of times you'll hear that, or at least I do, that executive women or women that are out there in the workplace, they aren't so much the type of woman anymore that 
loves to cook and loves to take care of the home and kind of do more of the domesticated things and that's okay too. But for me, I love it all and I've quickly learned that I can have both, but I also will burn out really quickly if I don't kind of find the fine balance between the two. Um, That's interesting because um, I've had the good fortune to be, I have the good fortune of being friends with some very, very powerful women. I mean, women who would scare, I mean, like really terrify the average guy. (laughs) Just like, wow. And all of the ones I'm thinking of right now, they all have that side of them. They love to cook. They're, they're great cooks. They, they love that domesticity as well as they like the power game too and they manage it. Yes, it's very intimidating though. <laughs> it absolutely is. And I, I think that it kind of takes people back because, um, it has been very difficult to find that you know, that side of me and be very confident in who I am now and what I bring to the table. But on the flip side, I think men don't know what to do with me <laughs> because they're like, well, wait a minute, does she, which category does she fit in? You know, you, you don't, to, you don't, you don't fit into and, a category. Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting. And I think that's been really difficult too, because people naturally want to put you in a category and it, there is none. And so They'll come back at you and say, well, you're too much or I can't handle you. And I mean, I understand it's a reflection of them and their insecurity and not really understanding it. But I do get that quite a lot. Here's a good good line to use when a guy says that to you, you're too much and I can't handle you. You put a little pout on your face and you say, oh, poor baby bear. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Okay, so that was the beginning. Now, there was a series of things that happened where your life literally fell apart. Can you give us that picture? Sure. Um, So it started with the company and just kind of realizing at that time that my marriage was kind of shifting and my natural instinct was to turn to work and that's how I coped. So I continue to grow my company and just work like a racehorse around the clock. And uh, at which point it led to my health really taking a hit. So I ended up having an emergency hysterectomy when I was 28 years old. And uh, that was May of 2015. So I had about two weeks to literally... Uh, get ready to go through a very large traumatic surgery as a young woman and then trying to understand what that even meant for myself and my body and just kind of preparing. And then also uh, after I went through that surgery, I basically um, kind of woke up and it was a huge pivotal moment for my marriage and we had kind of decided, you know what, this is not, this is not going where we wanted to go. So uh, we ended up separating once I got out of surgery and kind of healed the um, couple of months following that. So that was intense. <laughs> and so I went through a major surgery, uh, major life change. My marriage completely just stopped. And I also was trying to figure out where where do I go and what do I do and who is my support system. Um, so I ended up in New York City and decided to sell my company for a dollar and dissolve it because, as you can imagine, divorce is never easy. And I just needed to have a fresh start and start over. And there was too much pain associated with growing my company and and doing all that through my marriage. And I just didn't have the passion anymore. And I was the face of it. So I was the face of it and I created it and I needed to lead by example and I had all these people relying on me and I refer to it, the best way I know how to describe it is like a light bulb. And I put so much pressure on myself to be a good mom and a good wife and a a good um, boss and entrepreneur. It was just too much. And so I just burnt out and I kind of just shut down and 
I needed to start my life completely over again from the ground up. I'm just curious, why $1? Um, Because that's basically legally what they said I needed to do. I had investors, and uh, that was very difficult to fail them and to fail everyone around me. But if it was worth something, do you think now, looking back, you could have gotten a lot more money? Of course. But in divorce, more money is more chaos. And I didn't care about the money. I knew that everything I had created was in my head. And I knew that one day I would create something again. So for me, it wasn't about the money. I didn't feel like I deserved any of it. Uh, I had investors that had believed in me, and I felt like I couldn't deliver. So... um, I was the face of the company and the brains behind it. And so unfortunately, without that, it didn't really become much. Wow, that's quite a story. What year was that when you sold it? Um, the end of 2015. 2015. So six months after my surgery. Wow. What was your darkest moment and what was your self-talk like at that time? I definitely think my darkest moment was going through my divorce uh, the first year. It was very difficult, but I think, I mean, that was very hard, but I will say that the darkest time for me was probably right before I chose to get divorced and go through the surgery. I really felt like the pressure was unbearable and so many people were relying on me to financially perform and to make something that I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. And I, at one point in my life, I felt like I was worth more dead than alive. And I think that that was a huge turning point for me because I felt like my kids were better off with my life insurance money and my ex, for that matter, than I was able to give them being alive. So did you contemplate suicide? Um, I don't even know if I would word it that way. I think, it, I think I just, it was a light bulb for me to recognize that I was heading down that path, and it was very scary that I was at a point where I was even thinking about being worth more to my family dead than alive, but... I think it was a moment where I said, okay, this is not right. You know, you should not be in a marriage and you should not be doing all these things and feeling as if you don't want to wake up every day and you can't provide for them. So I definitely was like, you know what, I need to do this surgery and I need to like make some serious changes and I just need to rip the Band-Aid off. Wow. So you set out on a new path. You didn't have money. I think I read you had $5 to your name at the time. <laughs> yeah, I did. So when you set out on this new path, did you have a specific clear direction or no? I had nothing. Um, I knew that I had a completely blank slate to start all over again, but I knew that I had to just keep breathing and take one hour at a time and That, I think, is when I really learned to rely on myself for the first time and to have some serious faith that people would come into my life to help me through it. But I I never had done that before. I mean, I'd never had asked for help. So it was probably one of the most humbling things in my life to reach out and ask people for help. You're really hitting some important points here for the audience, my storytellers. Um, you familiar with Les Brown? Yeah. He has a famous saying, the how is none of your business. And you literally did that. You took, you knew that something had to change. You struck out on your own, but you didn't know how you're going to make it happen. But the important thing is that you didn't let that paralyze you. And the how began to manifest itself to you, correct? Yes, very true. Did you, is that the time you moved to New York? I did. Um, Where where in New York? 
I moved to Midtown Manhattan and I had created this circle of people that I had sold my products to and it was the strangest thing I for whatever reason felt so incredibly called to be there like that for whatever reason I didn't even know why but I knew that one day I would know why but I felt such a pull to be there and I knew that something was going to just completely change my life and set me on the right path but I had no clue what but <laughs> Uh, I just felt it. I'm curious because, I mean, I'm from New York and I know. So you were broke. How did you go to New York and get a place to live? I did live with somebody um, at the time. I think the best way to describe him is someone who came into my life and helped me more than words will ever be able to describe just as much as I did for him. I see. Okay. So I had met somebody that very much kind of was an entrepreneur himself and self-made and he saw in me what I couldn't see at the time in myself and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So um, he literally knew nothing about me just as much as, as you know. <laughs> and he took a chance on me and he was like, I, I want to help you and I want to help you rebuild your life again. And that's what he did. Wow. Is that person still in your life? Not really, no. Um, he definitely from afar, I will say. Okay. You know, he wishes me well from afar. Now, was there a pivotal event that began to give you more confidence and hope? Um, I will say, for the most part, it was recognizing that I was still, I still had the same structure as I always had. I still had that same fire and that same passion. I just was trying to figure out for what. And I never understood why I had gone through so much pain. But I decided to go back into the hospice world and medicine in New York City for a little bit and figure out that that was still a part of who I was. And I did that. And I absolutely loved it. And I knew that it wasn't necessarily hospice anymore. It was the ability to connect with people at such tragic times in their lives and help them. And I've always had that. And I had that since I was in my early 20s when I started in the hospice world. But I didn't understand it really full circle until then. And that's when I realized that that confidence piece started to creep in a little bit more. You kind of began to answer the next question, but maybe you want to flesh it out a bit. How did your experience in hospice and palliative medicine help you enrich your own personal story? I started out in hospice when I was 21, and it just kind of landed in my lap. I was a physician liaison uh, at a couple of hospitals, and I was so proud of that job. Uh, and I felt like that was my purpose at the time, was to help people transition in life and help families. Uh, to this day, some of the people that I got to meet and some of my patients are incredibly profound in how I think about life and how I wake up every day so blessed and so grateful no matter what. Uh, just to be alive and to live and have a roof over my head. And uh, it's it's definitely an incredible moment where it keeps you humble, it keeps you very grounded, and it reminds you every day to not sweat the small stuff. So no matter what, whether it is a crisis or not, I have to remind myself that no one is truly dying. And this too shall pass. These problems that we all have, they're all problems and they're always going to be there. But my perspective in life changed tremendously, and it's always stayed with me. Would you say, what I'm hearing is that it puts you in touch at a very visceral level with the feeling of gratitude. Yes, absolutely. I love that word. Which is important for everything, for growth. But you just said no one is truly dying. What do you mean? 
Um, just in regards to the people that I work with now and the companies I work with now and the problems that I hear people say they're facing every day and including, you know, some problems that I've had along the way, I constantly remind myself that no one is dying. You know, no one is truly in the process of dying. And so when I used to have a crisis in, in palliative medicine and hospice, I would go. Um, I was there by my patient's side the whole time. Um, I've experienced and have been beside hundreds of people as they've passed in their lifetime. And it's one of the most rewarding um, and most profound moments of my life is to be able to hold someone's hand as they pass on. So I think that that is that part of me that I just remind everyone and remind myself on a constant basis that this problem is a problem, but you're you're not leaving this earth. Like today, today is not that day. Like there's there could be much worse going on in the world. It's mm. wonderful. Now you created a company called Graceful and Gumption. How did that happen? Did. And, and talk about that. So. I decided, because I was pretty much off the radar for about two years, and after I went through my divorce, I had a lot of shame, I had a lot of guilt, I felt like I failed myself, my children, my family, my investors, and it was very difficult for me to come back from that and be proud of anything in my life publicly because I felt so much guilt and shame from the past, and I had to learn to heal from that and let it go uh, so that it didn't consume my life anymore and I had to just kind of heal myself and just move forward and so I started this blog I used to blog when I was younger but this particular blog and this company was a way for me to heal but to also use my voice for good and I never really had that support unfortunately that I really needed the way that I felt like I needed it. And so I really wanted to be able to publicly share my words and my thoughts and especially like as deep as I think. And hopefully if I can help one person, then I know that I've done something great. But I started it and I started writing and then I kind of took it from writing to the consulting world and I started helping many people in different areas of their life. And then I started working with companies, and so that's kind of how it started from there, and it's still just me. And then I started speaking, and so now I get to do uh, some great speaking talks, and I get to have great podcasts as well, uh, like I am today. That's fascinating. So it started as a blog and developed into a full-blown business. Yes, but Uh. I think most importantly... The one thing I did learn out of my previous company was that I knew I always wanted to be a leader, but I always wanted to just have a company where it was just me. So no more investors, no more any of that, no more letting people sway me in what I know my passion is and just kind of stay in line with who I know I am. So I really love that because now I just get to be me and I look however I want, I adjust however I want and... I get to pick and choose who I work with, and I think that's incredibly important for me to just kind of keep that level of integrity and align myself with that. That's fabulous. And so what's the time span from blog to today? Um, I think the biggest thing is just so much growth. <laughs> no, I, uh, I meant I meant what? how long from, from when you began it as a blog to today, the time span? It's been about, so I started it January of last year, so it's about a year and a half now, almost wow. a year and a half. Wow, that's that's rapid growth. I definitely, I will say, if I put my mind to something and I uh, get out of my way, <laughs> that I definitely want to conquer it and, and give it 110%. Which is perfect segue, a perfect segue into our next question that you are known as the pit bull in a dress. 
<laughs> how did yes, you how uh, did you how did you get that name? Did you give it to yourself and tell us about it? I did not. So <laughs> uh I did not. I wish I did, but um unfortunately, or I guess fortunately I should say, cuz it does kind of stick, but I had a crisis scenario for a client and I was on the phone and um, in person dealing with it quite heavily last year. And so uh, typically you will find me wearing a dress most days. I'm wearing one today, but I do wear them often. And so it was really kind of neat. But this lady that had been working back and forth in this whole scenario she had gotten on the phone one day with me and she just was like you know you I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before but you were one heck of a pit bull in a dress <laughs> um, and so it kind of stuck and then a lot of people that I've worked with have, have kind of taken it and run with it and some of my clients and uh, it's very true. <laughs> um, I'm not like that all the time, but when I am definitely in work mode, it's a great way to describe me. Have you played around with it, getting any images made, like logos and stuff? I haven't. Um, you know, I'm I'm at that point now where I'm really putting myself out there a lot more. I will say, for the most part, I've done a lot more behind the scenes. So I'm at the point now where I, I probably need to take it and run with it, and at first I wasn't sure how to feel about it, but it's a very accurate statement of me, so I, th I think I should do more with it. Oh, I mean, I can just see it could be so much fun. <laughs> and really. that's the key, right? It's well, yeah, fun. yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, that image, if you start playing with it, you get some good graphic artist to play with it. It's so many possibilities. It's fabulous. And it would be a, a stopper. I mean, people go, what? What is that? <laughs> right? No, it's so true. No. I definitely should do something fun with it. So thank you for holding me accountable to take it to the next level. <laughs> You're welcome. So self-respect is an issue for many people, and it's connected to a story about ourselves, right? And so how does a person strengthen their story of self-respect? I think a lot of it just comes with being open to just talk about it. I think the first step is to just start talking to somebody that you trust and that you can just be open with and honest and vulnerable with. I think that over time it's been easier and easier, but that's because I have to talk a lot about it. And I'm always putting myself in uncomfortable situations to grow. So you do have to go through the uncomfortable growth in order to get to the other side, which I would resonate with is self-respect. So the more that you're comfortable with being uncomfortable and really owning your story, which is your own story and how you choose to tell it, the more confident, the more comfortable you are with that. And the more you just kind of find inner peace. Um, but I think it's the inner peace inside of me that really strengthens how I stand tall every day and how I look in the mirror every day and how I know I can turn my story and my past failures into a great way to help people today and to just run with that instead of being a victim or instead of having, you know, kind of like self-pity on myself, I really wanted to turn it around and say, you know what, I am human. Uh, everyone makes mistakes. I have owned them. I have apologized for them. I have accepted that those were the choices that I've made. And uh, But that doesn't define who I am. And it also uh, is a great way to just stand tall now and say, that was me, but this is me now. You know how I know what you're telling me is 100% true? How is that? It's the energy in your voice. This is, yes, I definitely get that a lot. I, people tell me all the time I have good energy. You can't fake that. No, not at all. You cannot. I'm an actor, and uh, I've been a teacher of acting, and... The reason I'm telling you this is that I'm creating a course now 
on uh, how to audition for camera work for parts in movies and TV shows. And one of the biggest ahas that for some actors is going to be that the camera, unlike the stage, the camera just reads your energy. And if you're in the right space, that's the story you're going to be communicating. It's even more important than the words you're saying. No, it's so true. It's absolutely true. And I think that, I think that's why I'm so blessed to be able to work with so many people and for them to take on my energy and to be able to help them in what little way that I can. But sometimes that's just all you need is to be around someone with good energy that believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And that will kind of light that flame again mm. and keep it going. Mm. You live where, in Washington now? Um, my home base is Minneapolis. My, okay. That's where my boys are. Okay. How old are your boys? But I'm all over. <laughs> how, how old are your boys? They are six years old now. Oh, they're twins, right? Yes. Wow. So, what does it mean to be high maintenance? <laughs> um, you know, so for me, high maintenance, and the way that I describe it is, I am incredibly high maintenance, but I'm high maintenance in my standards and who I associate with, who I surround myself with, from my clients to my friends, and my own standards in life. And so I think that it's very easy to settle and to just accept someone for who they are in a, in a way that uh, is just kind of complacent. Um, but for me, high maintenance is more about your mindset than it is about material things. I think that there's always going to be that kind of high maintenance. But for me, it's more about your your mental state and your well-being of where is your mind and how are you seeing yourself and how are you going to level up in life. And so I get told that a lot, (laughs) that my standards are too high. But I would rather them be too high than to not have expectations at all. However, there are definitely situations where you just kind of have to just say, okay, I'm not going to have expectations of this, and that's okay too. But for the most part, definitely um, who you allow in your life and how you allow yourself uh, to be seen, and more importantly, the self-respect, um, how you allow people to treat you is part of the high-maintenance piece. I'm going to challenge you to change that phrase. You don't have to do it now, but because what you're describing is very positive. And people, I feel, if they want to live into their higher selves, they've got to set that vision for themselves. High maintenance, by definition, is something negative. It's usually seen as someone who is neurotic and making all sorts of unreal demands on people because of the neediness in them. I know some high-maintenance people who don't have high standards. This is true. I do like that viewpoint. You know, um, but I hear what you're saying, and you you do need to have that. I love what you said about uh, how people treat you. I've heard this, and I think it's true. We teach people how to treat us. Absolutely. And I think that's the best part about being a consultant and working for myself because I think that no matter what, um, you can say anything to anyone, but it's how you say it. And even if someone is like cursing in a room or, you know, there is a crisis and people are upset, I mean, it's very natural But at the same time, um, more importantly, it's just kind of how people say things to me. And I always come from a place of self-respect no matter what. And I would always want the same in return. Hmm. So, yes, there's been many times that I've walked out of a meeting because I refuse to let someone treat me a certain way. That's that's great. I mean, that you have the strength to do that because... 
ultimately we are responsible. We can complain and say that person treated me so badly because it's hard to look and say, well, okay, why did you let it happen? What do you mean? I didn't, I didn't. well, why did you let it happen? It's fascinating. Yeah, it starts with us for sure. Mm. Definitely starts with us. And once people know that you allow something, it's very difficult to kind of backtrack. It can be done, but it's, definitely more difficult once someone knows where you stand and what what you will and will not allow. So now what does it mean to be, that's right, absolutely. Uh, you've got to set those standards. What does it mean to be alpha feminine and how does it differ from alpha masculine? So I have this whole viewpoint on life as I went through my divorce and have become more and more in the business world. And I've kind of put it together, but I need to do a video on it because I get asked this all the time. But the biggest difference is, you know, we have kind of our natural state in who we are. And to your point, as you talked about a little bit earlier, it's more about everyone is kind of, even as an entrepreneur, it's it's in us, but it never really came out. I never really experienced it. And when I was um, in my previous life, um, when I was married and going through all of that before, I was definitely alpha masculine. And so I was overcompensating and becoming somebody that I, I was not at my natural state. My natural state is to be alpha feminine. And so basically that's just kind of like, yes, I'm a strong woman. I can handle my own. I'm independent. Um, but naturally, I am the feminine piece. However, at that time, I had to be more alpha masculine. And so now, being in my natural state as alpha feminine, I am very aware of alpha masculine females and men that I associate with. And so the biggest piece about that is just understanding who you are and where you fit in and then kind of finding the puzzle pieces whether they're personal or professional, for your main core people that you surround yourself with. And once you find that, it literally is like a puzzle piece. And so it just kind of fits a lot better. And uh, I could go into that like forever, but that's like the the quickest version of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to see if I'm hearing you correctly, because what I heard you say was when you were alpha masculine, you were in a state of overcompensating, so you weren't really being yourself. Correct, yes. And then when you found yourself, your true state is alpha feminine, which is a, coming from a place of natural strength. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it seems to suggest that if a guy is alpha, that he's not authentic. No, not at all. So, um, so like, for instance, my natural partner would be alpha masculine um, because I would need somebody to balance me out. So he would need to be alpha in order to really stand by my side. And so what happens is like if you have someone who's beta masculine or beta feminine, that's where you start to overcompensate. And you'll see a lot of times, you know, someone is, it's, it's not even. So you have one person, whether it's personal or professional, that tends to kind of make decisions for the other person or it leads the way. And it's not necessarily as equal of a partnership um, is the piece to it. But absolutely, I mean, it's a very positive thing. So um, what, what described the beta for me, to me, because I'm not clear on what it is. Um, I think the beta is more just subservient. So they they typically aren't as strong and aren't as boisterous in what they want. And so that's where kind of the overcompensating came into place, at least for me, is it wasn't an equal partnership. So I was the one who was kind of making all the decisions and running the show and kind of leading the way, whereas um, if it was alpha masculine, it would be more about you're conversing with each other and you're talking about it and you're making decisions together. Um, but I personally, like, I need that. So I crave that that side of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's clear. It's good. 
it's wonderful to speak to someone who has that kind of self-awareness because uh, I don't see a lot of self-awareness around me in the world today. Not really. No, no really. <laughs> uh, it's, not it's, so much. It's it's not there enough. And I think that, at least for me, a lot of times that's why people get so intimidated or they'll be like, okay, no, you know, you think too much or you're too deep or... You know, I just, I don't even want to go there and I don't really want to do the work. And a lot of times that's what happens is it becomes a vicious cycle for people because they don't take the time to be self-aware and to work on themselves. And you're constantly looking for external circumstances in which to fix things and it's not going to be there. No. It might fix it temporarily, but a lot of times that's why you see people in the same type of relationship over and over again without that self-awareness and without really working on yourself and figuring out where it stemmed from and to your point like what moments in your life have defined things to really begin to start chipping away and changing them then you don't really come out on the other end i guess you kind of answered this how does being alpha affect who we attract into our lives well yeah yeah you did kind of answer because i mean if you're aware of who you are then you know the type of people that you want to attract. Absolutely, and it changes. The one thing I will say is it definitely changes, and I think that's the biggest piece that I always tell people is you have to recognize, okay, what is your natural state? But there are many times in my life that I've wanted some of my friends that are out, you know, my female friends that are alpha masculine, I've wanted them to kind of lead the way, and I just didn't want to make decisions, and I wanted someone stronger than me. And then there are other times that I don't. And there are other times where I want to kind of lead the way and be the strong one. And so that's just, again, the self-awareness piece of it. But I think it's also okay to have different people in your lives at different times. And you're constantly in a state of change and you're growing. And so just being aware that it can change, so can the people around you change. So I think that sometimes people grow together and sometimes people don't. And that doesn't mean that you need to force them to change with you either. Are you a student of formal personal development? I am always going through personal development, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm always putting myself through a class or a seminar or going to a conference. Um, what are some of the ones that stand out for you? Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. She's oh, yes, yes. Phenomenal. Um, her books are good. Rachel Hollis is phenomenal from Girl, Wash Your Face. Uh, they have definitely led the way in a wonderful, positive way. Um, Simon Sinek is fantastic. I've uh, read his, and I've seen him speak. So there's some of the, the ones. That, um, Gary Vee, I love him from a professional standpoint. I love how he's very authentic and just says whatever the heck is on his mind. <laughs> so it's wonderful to see people like that leading the way right now and being vulnerable to lead the way for others to follow suit. Gary V is a world unto himself. Hey, yeah, that is for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But I love it because he gets people's attention. Oh, so. yeah. No, he does. And he's, he's brilliant. I mean, the guy is brilliant. You know, But when you look at him and you see him on video and you go, oh, my God, it's like, Yep, that's who Yeah, I, you just have to kind of stop and watch it. I mean, you can't I know, help yourself. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's great stuff. Yes, I enjoy it. Do you have a favorite book? I do. Um, my favorite book is from Nicholas Sparks. It was a, a book that really resonated with me and kind of changed my life when I was 16. It's called A Walk to Remember. It's a beautiful love story that really turned me into medicine and turned me on my path with hospice. And I really feel like kind of just um, helped shape who I am and, and how I view life. So that is a wonderful book that I got to read. And uh, quite uh, recently, actually, I went to Beaufort, South Carolina and kind of relived that book. So that was a wonderful bucket list item that I got to do. How did you get to relive it? Say that one more time. You said you got to relive the book. How? 
Oh, um, just going there and seeing it. Um, I saw the movie, but obviously the book is ten times better in my opinion. But just being able to actually feel it and take it in and just kind of close my eyes and, and be in the moment and feel like I was in the book, it was pretty incredible. So it's a novel? It is, yes. It's a novel and it changed your life. That's interesting. Yeah. It uh, is. I named my one son after it. So definitely was Wow. Profound. What did you name him? Um, so his name is Gavin. His middle name is Carter. And the character in the book, his name was Landon Carter. So I took Carter and named him after that. Fabulous. Do you have a favorite quote? I sure do. This whole time since I was beginning of hospice, I saw it and it's stuck with me, but it's from Plato and it's be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Mm. And I tell people that all the time. Um, You never know what's going on in someone's life, especially nowadays as you see people struggle more and more. um, And unfortunately it's too late, but some of the people that struggle with the most, issues internally are the ones that are the strongest. So I always tell people to be kind and remember that, you know, everyone has the right to feel whatever they choose to feel and take things in however they choose to take them in. So mm-hmm. now who would be the ideal client for you? Like the people that you could help the most people listening to this might say, she's a fascinating person. What could she do for me? Um, you know, the funny thing is, like, the best way to describe me is, from a professional level is I'm kind of someone in between, like, an NHR department and an attorney. <laughs> uh, so I love the crisis management side of things. I love helping people through change. Um, sometimes I have clients one-on-one on more of a personal side, whether it's divorce or a tragedy in their life and they just really need someone to help them in an unbiased way. Or it could be more on the professional front and it's like a, uh, usually my clients are smaller businesses under 50 employees and it could be anything from one particular crisis or um, a little bit more of a restructuring a company and helping to rebuild the culture, things like that. But I, I do love it all. I have a little bit of everything going on. You said HR, but I hear from listening to you, it's more psychology. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're insightful. So I, I can see how you would help people because you would see and feel what they're going through. Yes, very much so. So I'm definitely empathetic and, and very intuitive to be able to pick up on people's pain and where it stems from. And sometimes people don't even realize where it's coming from. So it's been pretty incredible to have a gift like that and to be able to use it with somebody who uh, I can really help and they are not in on hospice. So it's it's a little bit of a different twist to when I was working with people through hospice, but it's beautiful now because I help people live fully. Have you ever been told that you're an old soul? All the time. <laughs> well, I hear it. Yes. You you are. I mean, it's like I'm listening to you and I say, well, she's a millennial. That's chronological. But now I'm talking to somebody, you know, it's like you. there are people in their 60s that don't have this wisdom. Yeah, I mean, people say all the time, they're like, how in the world are you so young and how do you have what you have to be able to command being a consultant? But I truly believe it's just my life experience and what I've been through and I've kind of always been like that, but definitely more so in the last five years, it's Mm. kind of taken it to a whole nother level. It's fabulous. So if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, only one, what would it be? I would love for people to be able to feel more and be more empathetic. I think people don't take the time anymore to feel, to understand other people and what they're going through. And it's such a world now where everything is just me, me, me. And what can I get out of it? And everyone's going at such a fast pace. And so I, I wish, I would totally wish for just more feeling and, and more empathy for others. 
Beautiful. How can people contact you? Um, so I have a website, gracefulandgumption.com. I'm also on Instagram and social media. I do have a following that I feel really loves the lightheartedness of me slash uh, also the depth of which I talk and, and how I really kind of hit on some very hard but needed topics that need to be kind of out there a little bit more. So that's the best way to get in touch with me. You on Instagram too? I am, yes. Mm -hmm. Under what name? Graceful and Gumption. Ah, okay. Not under Jennifer Lee, no. Uh, I think it's under both, but I don't know how many Jennifer Lees there are. But the quickest way is Graceful and Gumption. Is and on Facebook, you're on Jennifer Lee or under? I am, yes. Okay. Any final thoughts for our storytellers? I think the biggest thing is to just recognize that sometimes we don't realize what's happening in the moment, but everything has its own divine timing for which it's meant to play out. And sometimes it's just important just to try to live, even if it's one hour at a time or one day at a time, um, but just be kind to yourself. I love that. What I will add to it is for storytellers listening and thinking about how this would apply to your lives, what Jennifer offered today was a lot of insight into the fact that you are not your story. What's happening to you at any given moment may make you see a story that can help make you feel hopeless, but there's something beneath that if you're willing to look for it and create a new story to live into. No matter what pain you're feeling, you can transform that pain eventually into joy. Would you agree, Jennifer? Absolutely. Beautifully said. And now I save the most important question for last. I didn't write it down for you, so you don't know this is coming. Did you watch Game of Thrones last night? I did not. <laughs> uh, I did not. I am not a TV person, so I did not. But I did get the new Nicholas Sparks book, and I was very happy reading it. So I chose that route instead. Which book is that? Um, I can't even think of the name right now. But um, breathe, something Breathe. It's a new book. Um, What's the author's name? Nicholas Sparks. Oh, yeah, because you mentioned him before, Nicholas Sparks. Sparks. Mm -hmm. I was looking for someone to engage with uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, darn. <laughs> but I did look at the book. It's, that's what it, Every Breath is the new book that I'm reading. Every Breath. Good. We'll mention that one as well. Perfect one for me to be reading right now. <laughs> I want to thank you. This has been, for me, very enjoyable. I know it's been valuable for the storytellers. You offered a lot. Well, thank you. I'm so blessed to be able to chat today with you, and it's been amazing for me as well. So thank you for letting me share. Absolutely. Thank you, storytellers, for being part of this experience today. Enrich others by letting them know that they can hear this too on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. At the website, you will find a free gift that I've created for you, a downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You can get instant access to it right now by going to changeyourstorypodcast.com and downloading your free copy. Also take advantage of the gift that our sponsor Audible is offering to the listeners of this show. That is a free audiobook of your choice and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. In the spirit of giving, I'm going to ask you to give me a few more moments of your time. 
by going to iTunes and in the podcast category, Finding Change Your Story, Change Your Life. And where you see that you can leave a brief review and a star rating, in the review, just state what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And I hope that I've earned a five-star rating from you. When you do that, you're telling iTunes to allow the show to climb the ranks. Then more people will find it and be able to enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to the show and you're getting value from it, then subscribe while you're visiting iTunes. One final thought. Whenever you find yourself facing a decision that's hard to make, stop. Don't let your mind work hard. Just take a deep breath and then ask, how can I change my story and change my life? Then pause for a moment and allow the answer to come to you. I look forward to sharing another enriching experience with you on the next episode. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.